up, guys? Hey, welcome everybody joining us uh, online and live and all the other Porch locations. That's right, if you didn't just hear, we are live streaming from Houston, Texas, which is a first for us in Porch Houston. Good to be back, man. How fun. People together. My extra extrovertedness, man, it's missing people. So it is fun to get to be down here with you guys. We are continuing a series called Therapy. This is your first week with us. You can check out the Porch app and you can find all the different messages that we've covered so far as we've gone through four different therapy sessions, if you will. If ever our nation or ever there was a time where people needed to go to therapy, we is there because we have all been experiencing a lot of turbulence in life. And things were already uh, bad before that. Anxiety was at record highs. Our generation or the generation of young adults out right now has higher levels of anxiety than any other uh, group of people in the country. In fact, studies have shown that a psychiatric ward patient in the 1950s has the same amount or had the same amount of stress and anxiety as the average young adult today. People are anxious and we were anxious before COVID. Mental health has been a huge issue, and as we've talked about, if you've been with us, it's not always an issue that the church covers a lot of. So we're not done with this series, and we're just continuing it tonight, but we're going to launch into, I think, a tremendously crucial topic, especially for this season. It's fun to be back in Houston. I'm from Houston originally. I'm an Astros fan till I die, even though they did what they did, and, uh, and, uh, and I'm a little bit sick. But it is not COVID. I've had two tests. It is not positive. I'm the only person in America with a bacterial sinus infection right now, apparently. But um, let me start with this to frame up where we're going for tonight. When I was in college, I had a buddy of mine who spent some time, uh, one, he did what you know you do when you're in college and you have a free day. He just decided, I'm going to go out to this lake that was nearby the campus that we went. Anyone, any Aggies in the room in here? Yeah, so Lake Bryan, he goes out, he's going to go hang, read books, do it, you know, you do when you're in college. And he goes out, spends the day reading, chilling in a hammock, just kind of having the day out there. And at some point, um, he realizes he needed to go to the bathroom. And there weren't any bathrooms around, and he didn't need to go, uh, man, this is going somewhere too, by the way. He had to go, uh, not number one, but number two of the bathroom. So he does with guys, ladies, just, just, you should know this. We'll do in that situation, go to the woods, take care of business, use some leaves, everything's fine, it's all great. He does so, goes back, reads his book, it's a great afternoon, jumps in the water, it's all good and fine. Goes back home that night, falls asleep. In the middle of the night, <laughs> he wakes up and he is covered in a poison ivy rash in a very unfortunate location. It was like he was in a poison... Poison oak, not poison ivy, which is pretty much the same thing. Poison oak diaper rash was consuming his body. And this was basically a roommate of mine and, uh, and got to see all the experience that that was for the next month. But here's what began to happen. If you don't know this about poison ivy or poison oak, in order for a rash to heal, it has to be out in the light. That's a very difficult place to consistently get exposed to the light. And so for the next like month, he did the same thing. He'd go to class, he'd sit in his chair, kind of squirm in tremendous pain, and then he'd go back home and he would take an oatmeal bath. I don't know why you take oatmeal baths, but apparently oatmeal is not just for breakfast anymore. It works through poison oak. But this is what he would do because he had to get it exposed to light. And the longer, or because it was difficult to bring out into the light, it delayed healing of it taking place. So it was there for weeks. I repeat, weeks. And I learned just through that, that incident, an uh, important 
principle as it relates to poison oak that translates into what the scripture we're going to look at tonight teaches that the longer something is kept in the dark, it delays it from healing. And the same is true in you and I's life. The longer that we keep things in hiding, we keep things in the dark, we don't bring other people in and open up about where we are struggling, we delay experiencing healing in our lives. As I said, this is a really important topic because as a pastor, and it probably goes without saying, all of us have seen it, there has been spikes in all types of alcohol. It's through the roof sales. Prescription drug addiction is through the roof. Sexual sin and pornography is through the roof. And we all came in here and everybody looks pretty and they look like, you know, somebody that would be fun to go. We're hanging out together. But all of us came in with stuff in our life that if we are not intentional to bring into the light, we will not experience healing. And it's a problem that's not going away. It's only going to get worse. And it brings with it certain things. So tonight, we're going to look at four ideas as it relates to healing. As I've said, this series is about therapy. My wife is a counselor. And one of the things that if you go see any different counselor, they will suggest is you have to bring things forward. You have to be in relationship with other people where you can share what's actually going on. If not, it's a recipe for anxiety. It's a recipe for depression. And it is a recipe that ends in addiction. And tonight, we're going to look at one of the principles behind why that is and cover four different ideas. I'm going to write, or I'm just going to give you the first one, and I'll show you the scripture it comes from. But you may not know this, but shame brings anxiety. If you're carrying shame from an eating disorder in here, if you're carrying shame from a same-sex attraction you've never told anybody about, an abortion that's a part of your past you've never told anybody about, or at least nobody recently, from sexual sin in your own life or from anything, it will bring with it anxiety every time. Here's how we know this. This is... uh, comes straight out of Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3, where basically, if you're not familiar with Genesis, it's the story of kind of where did everything originate from? God creates the world. Everything's perfect. Adam and Eve are the only two people on the planet. They're the crown of God's creation. God performs a wedding ceremony with just Adam and just Eve. And Adam looks at her and sings the very first version of your body's a wonderland. He's like, this naked girl's from me. And they're naked and without shame, the the Bible says. It says this. Because of this, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Just two lovebirds running around in the garden of delight, which is what the word Eden means. And they experience no shame. And then God says, there's one command during this time. You're probably familiar with it. What was the one command? You can't eat from this one tree. Everything else, fair game. Just don't eat from the knowledge or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the entire rule book. That was the entire Bible. The entire Bible could have fit on a fortune cookie. That was it. Just don't eat from that one tree. Adam and Eve, like five minutes go by and they eat from the tree, of course. And all of a sudden sin enters the world and with it came shame and with it came anxiety. We're told that after eating it, their eyes were opened and Adam and Eve ran into essentially the forest, and they ran from God. Previously, when they heard God coming, they ran towards him. Now they run from him because they were afraid, because shame brings anxiety. The more that you and I hold on and hide things, you're going to bring more and more anxiety in your life. Am I saying if you have anxiety, it's because you're hiding something? No, I'm saying if you're hiding something, you're going to bring anxiety into your life. It says this, 
Adam said, when I heard you coming, this is Genesis chapter three, verse 10, the sound of you, God, in the garden, I was afraid. Man's first interaction with fear, with anxiety, is introduced because I was naked and I hid myself. I was ashamed. Rather than bring their sin to God and what they had done to God, they ran from him and they began to attempt to hide what they were ashamed of in their life. All of us have gotten used to, I think, if, if Houston and most places around the country that are listening, or anything like Dallas, we've all gotten used to these. Anybody know what this is? This is an N95 mask that I'm pretty sure is a fake, but it nonetheless works to go into the store. And uh, do you guys have like mask mandates? We have to pretty much everywhere you go now. Such a weird time. Anyways, we've all gotten used to wearing these. The truth is most of us have been wearing masks our whole life. You never told anybody about what happened to you. You experienced some sort of abuse. It wasn't your fault and you never told anybody. And you've been hiding. And the tragedy is as long as you hide God will not heal, and you're going to carry shame that you don't have to. They cover it up with fig leaves. We hide today. We hide behind our words. We hide behind not telling people the truth. And anytime we do, the reality is God cannot heal what we won't reveal. It's the second idea. So shame brings anxiety, but God won't heal what we will not reveal. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says this. Whoever conceals or hides their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Solomon says, whoever hides or conceals their sin, what's going on, will not prosper. That sin's not going anywhere, anywhere, If anything, it's only going to get worse. But whoever confesses, who brings it out into the open, telling someone, not just God, but other people in their life will experience healing. In other words, Solomon would say, anything that you and I refuse to bring others into, and I know it's all over this room, man. And God's not angry at you. And you're embarrassed. And you think I'm talking to you, and I am talking to you. And you're carrying shame for it. And you don't have to. And God who loves you says, I, anything you won't reveal, I cannot heal. I will not heal. But he invites you, it's possible. You can come out of hiding. You can experience freedom. And someday you're thinking to yourself, I'm not going to do this forever. When I get married, I'm going to stop looking at pornography. When I get married, I'm going to stop drinking so much. When I get married, I'm going to stop doing this. Let me tell you the truth. That's not changing when you get married. That's changing when you stop hiding. Marriage doesn't make sin go away. If anything, it magnifies it. And anything that you say, nope, not, not bringing this out, is something where in effect you say to God, I'm, I'm not allowing access to this in my life because God will not heal what we are unwilling to reveal. So the flip side, the third idea is that confession is the cure. Confession, and by confession, I mean telling someone other than God. All of us, I know everybody in here, you know, you did it again, you slept together, you crossed the boundary with your boyfriend or your girlfriend that you promised you wouldn't do it again. And you go home, and you lay on your pillow, and you say, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. That type of confession, let me just be abundantly clear. 
biblically is worthless. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've confessed sin, you've trusted what Jesus has done, it says that you and I are to bring our confession to other people inside of our life. And by worthless, I don't mean it doesn't matter or it's not practical or anything. I mean, functionally, it does not change your behavior because James says the way that you and I experience healing from behavior in our life is by confessing to another person. He says this, James, in James chapter five, verse 16, he says, confession is the cure. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Here's what I love about James writing this verse. Like James just wrote, hey, here's, you want to experience healing in your life? You want to change? You want to stop? Here's the formula. He says, confess to another believer in your life. Have them pray for you. Bring it out into the open and express that to another person and you'll experience supernatural healing. Think about who's writing this. You guys know who James is? James is the baby brother of Jesus. You guys know that? Like Jesus had like little baby brothers. He had siblings, sisters. He had siblings in his life. How rough would that be? You think your older sister, firstborn is perfect? How'd you like to follow Jesus where every night you're sitting at the table with mom who's like, why can't you be a little bit more like Jesus? Well, mom, he's God. That can't be easy. But James didn't just see like his brother's perfect, you know, dinner table etiquette. He saw his brother give sight to the blind. He saw his brother do incredible, miraculous things, lame people. They couldn't walk their entire life. Jesus goes up. His big brother touches them. They can walk. He saw him give hearing back to people who had never been able to hear before, open the eyes of people to be able to see, allow people to speak or give the tongue back to the mute. James saw all of this take place. He saw his brother supernaturally heal people. And then he writes this book we call James. And in it, he says, if you want to experience supernatural healing in your life, here's how. You got to bring other people in. It's not going away. Maybe there's a hurt from a parent. There's something that happened to you and it wasn't your fault, but it's not going away unless you bring someone in, unless you bring it out in the open and share it. As James says, confess and you'll experience the supernatural healing in your life because confession is the cure. It's a part of the equation every single time. I think one of the hardest lies that you're gonna have to get over right now is that if you bring it to your life Bible study group or you bring it to your community group, so those who are listening, your small group, wherever you're at, the lie that you're thinking right now, I can't share that, that's so embarrassing. What are they gonna think about me? They're gonna think I'm like some you know, messed up pervert who I can't believe you would even do that or you're so messed up. Let me tell you abundantly clear, here's what they're gonna think about you. Ready? You're gonna bring that to them? They're a trusted believer in your life? Here's what they're gonna, everyone They're gonna think you're a lot like them, only more honest. That's what they're gonna think. If they're a believer and a follower of Jesus, as Christians, all of us, in order to get into the club, if you will, you have to acknowledge, I'm not a perfect person, I need a savior. That's a part of the uh, starting line of being a Christian is saying, don't have it all together. I don't have it all together. That's why I need Jesus. That's why I need a savior. And there's something messed up in the church where it's like, after you become a Christian, you can't be a Christian anymore. Or you have to pretend like you have it all together. When the criteria for getting in is being someone who says, I don't have it all together. Do you have people in your life where you can bring openly and honestly, you have a small group. Do people know what's going on? You don't have to share with everybody right here on the stage every time. But are there people in your life that know how you're doing? They know about your dating relationship. They know about where if, you know, Satan was going to take you out or you're tempted. 
to drift back towards old ways or old habits? Do they know those things? Because you will not experience healing unless it involves you revealing it to other people inside of your life. This changed my life in my early 20s. I, um, when I was 12 years old, I was on a bus to a church camp. We stopped at this hotel and we got off. Everybody goes in the room. When you're like 12, you're like, dude, look at this. They got free soap in here. I'm taking it with me. And it's just the whole amazing, you know, kid hotel moment. And I was in a room with, with a guy who threw on the TV and he immediately went straight to pornography. I'd never seen pornography before. It was like, I don't even know what to think about this. And as a guy, all the different wheels begin to turn. And it, I don't know how many minutes it lasted. But if I close my eyes or I think about it, I can see those images still. It takes a moment to see and a lifetime to get rid of. And that put me on a journey where for the next 10 years, I struggled with pornography in my life as a Christian. And it wasn't something I was proud of. It wasn't something I wanted. It was something, honestly, I hated. But I was so afraid of what it would happen if I actually told somebody that. And then when I was in college, it was my, my junior year of college, uh, this guy who lived across the street, he busted in the door like he's Kramer on Seinfeld or something, and he says, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. This is hurting my faith. And he began to talk about his pornography, and he just said, I, I need you to hold me accountable. I need you to know everything that I'm looking at. And it was the first time I'd ever seen anyone be that honest. And he said, hey, will you pray for me? Will you hold me accountable? I, I want you to help me. So, of course, I prayed for him, and in those moments, it was the first time I'd seen anybody be like that. And I prayed, and I just said, before you go, you're going to know that that's a part of my life. I don't want it to be that way. And that was a pivotal moment where for the rest of, like, for years after that, we began to put a software on both of our phones, several other friends of ours that had all struggled with that, and began to see everything that I was looking at on the internet, and I could see everything that he was. And through every time that I was tempted or every time that I uh, looked at pornography again or masturbated again or did any of that again, I brought that to believers in my life, said, pray for me. I want you to know this. Even at a thought level before I ever even got there, I just said, here's what you need to know. I saw this billboard driving down the road today and I've been thinking about it since. And I may want to do something that I don't want to do in my heart of hearts, but I kind of want to do it right now. Will you please pray for me? Hold me accountable and know that. And it changed my life. I know inside of this room, it's not just pornography, it's prescription medication addiction. It's alcohol. It's cutting. Maybe it's a debt problem, it's just out of control. And God is not angry at you. It's not why he's saying confess, he loves you so much, he gave his life for you. And he doesn't want you to be owned and imprisoned Maybe it's anxiety, and you're just not opening up with other people. You're afraid, like, what are they going to think? Maybe it's depression. It's not always even a, a sin that we're hiding, because it could be like one of those. But part of experiencing healing inside of our life comes through bringing it into the light and opening up to other people around us. Hiding it will only bring shame. It always brings anxiety but it doesn't have to. And when I think about what God is gonna do in the church and the opportunity that the church has 
in the days ahead, like people will ask about ministry and they'll, they'll say, what do you guys think about, like what's gonna happen on the porch when everything's back? Will it just go back to normal? Do you think churches will go back to normal? Will gatherings kind of go back to normal? And I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know anything of exactly what's going to happen. But here's my hunch. The opportunity that the church has in the days ahead has never been greater. It will never be greater because people all over the country, they're hurting, they're isolated, they're angry, they're in conflict, they're experiencing division with one another, addiction rates are through the roof, suicide is through the roof, depression is through the roof, and the church offers the only solutions to those problems, which first starts with the relationship with Jesus and it starts with walking with God's people. Once you're connected to God's son and day by day living authentically and confessing sin with other people. So my, my hunch is, dude, the brightest days of the church are ahead because we offer a solution to so many of the problems that are going to plague and are plaguing society as much as they ever have before. But if God's going to use you as a part of his body and in this way and in the mission that he has all of us, if you're a follower of Jesus on, you have got to get healthy. Which means you've got to open up. And I'm not talking about if he's going to use you to go into ministry. I'm saying if you're a Christian, you're on the planet, you are breathing because God has a purpose for you to know God and to make him known. But the degree to which he is going to use you will be limited to the degree to which you are willing to get things out in the open. We have this handheld vacuum that we keep in, in my kitchen. And, uh, and it's one of those things that <clears throat> it, it's like a black and decker. It's not the most impressive thing of all time. It gets the job done. Go around, and when you have little kids, your floors are constantly dirty. So there's dirt, and there's Cheerios, and there's goldfish, and just kind of stuff everywhere. So because of that, uh, all my ladies in the house know that any mama out there, like she has like certain things. This is one thing I've realized about women. Men is like uh, they're okay with like clutter everywhere. And then there will be this one in type of clutter not okay with. So this could be like they, for her, it's like, man, I, hey, it could be disgusting room. Gotta have clean sheets. Gotta have clean sheets. If you're not clean, do not come into this bed. The other thing with her is floors. She's like, man, it can be just kind of chaos everywhere. <laughs> I should have really shared this with her before I shared this story, but it can be chaos everywhere. And then, hey, just want clean floors. So we keep this vacuum nearby, get anything that's, that's cut up. Every now and then, because it's a really small vacuum, there's like a small spout at the front of it. There'll be get something that will get lodged inside of there. What happens whenever like half of the vacuum is clogged up? It's operating at half capacity. It's not able to function or operate as well as it could because half of it is blocked. You know what's further interesting? Is like whenever like a goldfish gets stuck in there, it doesn't just block half of it. It also increases the likelihood that other things are going to get caught and blocked. Further decreasing it, its effectiveness. What's that have to do with you? Anytime you and I get something lodged in our spirit, in our soul, in our life, whether it's a sin, or maybe it's a hurt, maybe it's something that happened to you, if you don't deal with it and get it out, you're not operating at 100% and you won't be. And just like in that vacuum illustration where, hey, man, as long as it's there, it's gonna block other things that are there. As long as you never deal with that hurt from your dad, you're gonna be more sensitive and more quickly prone to get hurt from other people. You're gonna pick up things that maybe in neutral you wouldn't pick up, but you're gonna pick them up. As long as you're addicted to pornography, you're gonna walk around and every girl that you see or every guy that you see, you're gonna to begin to think through what they would look like naked because there's something blocking there and the more that, 
the longer that it's there, that problem's not going away. If anything, it is getting worse, and you're not going to operate and experience all that God wants for you. I don't know what that looks like for you tonight. To confess to another believer in your life. But I know that those who are in the room that are listening, that are thinking, that are talking to you, you know there's somebody in your life you need to bring that forward to. Maybe it's a volunteer here. Maybe it's a life Bible study here. Maybe it's a community group for wherever you're listening. This is why we hammer being connected and being known and having relationships with other people. Because what you hide will not heal. When I was 22, I'll close here, I went to, uh, uh, I went to the dentist for the very first time. And uh, it was an interesting, interesting experience. I, uh, I'd never been before. I, I tell the story and people are like, how did your mom, what did your parents not love you? I, just, I think I had straight teeth. She, she was like, hey, get back in the game. You'll be fine. So when I was 22, I got dental insurance. I was like, oh man, this is exciting. I got dental insurance. I'm going to go to the dentist. It's going to be amazing. And I go and your first time at the dentist, it was like I relived the seven-year-old experience you probably had. You're like, oh dude, the chairs, they got suckers afterwards. And I'm, I'm experiencing all of that at 22. And I, uh, the dentist comes in, they do the x-rays, they take it, and, um, and he comes back and he says, I got good news, I got bad news. I said, all right, let's start with the good news. And uh, he says, good news is, your teeth are relatively straight. Okay, bad news is, you have 14 cavities. Yeah, I know. I was like, do I have 14 teeth? What do you mean 14 cavities? It's like, first off, you have 32 teeth. Second off, there's three surfaces on every tooth, and so you can actually get three cavities on a single tooth, which I had done, thankfully. Uh, or not, thankfully. <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Um, and uh, he begins to go through, like, a diagnostic list of questions of, like, what, what are you doing? Like, uh, are you... Are you drinking a lot of soda? Like, what's your diet like? How often, you know, are you brushing your teeth? Are you sleeping with candy in your mouth? <laughs> to find out, like, what is causing this problem inside of my mouth? And, of course, you know, I wasn't doing that. I just didn't like to floss. But point being, that day, I did something that over and over, I feel like I've seen God have me do in, in life, and I've seen the power of when we do something similar as it relates to our spiritual life and our spiritual health. That day I opened up my mouth and I allowed somebody to look in and see things that I may not have seen. And when they identified or they saw something that may be harmful, that may be hurting, that may be leading to further brokenness down the road, they began to say, hey, you need to make some changes as it relates to your dental health. In the same way, that's the exact idea that the Bible says you and I are to do inside of our life, where we open up our lives, not our mouth to other people, but our lives, and we allow people to speak into the things that we're doing, to know where we're hurting ourselves, maybe, to know where we're struggling, where we're tempted, where we're just believing a lie. And if you do, you'll begin to experience healing inside of your life. And God has invited you, man, I don't want you to live the rest of your days owning or having this own you. How long are you going to carry this? And you keep pushing off saying, no, I'll deal with it later. I'll deal with it later. The day you'll deal with it is the day you decide, I'm going to bring it into the light. Why would you waste? Why would any of us waste? Another moment believing the lie of one last time it never works. It never happens. The one last time happens when you and I choose. I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm bringing it 
out into the open. And you'll begin to experience healing. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's nothing that can separate you from God's love. You will spend eternity with him forever. But he's invited you to experience greater and greater freedom on this earth. But that'll involve you and I opening up our lives to other people and letting them speak into doing what Ephesians, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter three, I'm closing here, says, take care brothers, lest any of you have an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort or call out one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He says, you want to experience the remedy for spiritual heart disease. It involves having other people in your life that can call you out where you need to be called out, that can call you, the word exhort, such a churchy word, just means I'm going to call you to be everything that God wants you to be, everything that you and your heart of heart want to be. And I need you to lock arms with me and I'm not letting go of you and you're not letting go of me and we're going to walk through life like this together. If you don't have that, you're not going to experience the abundant life God wants for you. And it's not coming from some church program where you sign up for this class and you'll experience it. It comes from having real relationships with people who, like you, are trying to follow Jesus and we need one another. And you're not going to experience healing. You're not going to be the husband you want to be. You're not going to be the wife that you want to be. You're not ready to get married if you don't have that. Because you've got some stuff you've got to deal with. God already paid for it and dealt with it. Consequence ultimately on the cross for that. But tonight and today and every day, is a day where as believers, we go to war through opening up our mouth and saying, this is where I'm struggling. I need you to know this. And we do, when you do, when we do, healing happens. Or you can just keep hiding. Let me pray. Father, I pray for every person in this room who has walked through a difficult last six months. Maybe they've lost their job or they've lost somebody that they love or they've just experienced anger and hurt and bitterness and confusion and all the emotions that all of us have felt. That in the midst of all of that pain, they turn to something to distract them or to help them cope with And it was something that is owning and continuing to own. Maybe it was an eating disorder. Maybe it was a, an old relationship that had no business being in. Maybe it was a bottle of alcohol or a bowl of weed or whatever it was. And they keep feeding that and feeding that. And they're not opening up to anybody that you right now would pierce through their heart. Give them the courage to follow you and to open up honestly and walk in the light with other people. And when they do, you meet them there and healing will rush in. Just like you rush towards Adam and Eve to cover their sin, to call them out of hiding, that that would happen for friends all over this room. Thank you that Jesus paid for all of it on the cross. And we're not defined by anything other than our faith in him and what he did on that cross. And we worship you now in song. I thank you for Port Houston with the brightest and best days in your church 
be ahead because of the men and women in this room who radically go all in with you and they follow you with recklessness because they respond to the incredible love that you have recklessly poured out for all of us. We worship you now in song. Amen.